0: This sermon audio is presented to you by Pastor Tommy Brandon and Calvary Church of Fort Worth. For more information, visit our website at calvaryftw.com.
1: Let go and let God. Let go and let God. We've all said it before. You've, You've seen it on... on on different forms of communication, but today you're going to hear it through a sermon titled Let Go and Let God. It's a third part of our Get Real series. And we started out this month with a sermon talking about acceptance, accepting acceptance. Until you can accept God's unconditional love for you, You're never going to be able to accept yourself. You have to accept the fact that God accepts you. And even now, three weeks after that sermon, uh, very few of us have gotten over that hump of being able to accept the fact that God accepts us because we look ourselves in the mirror and we know what God's dealing with. But can I tell you, God looks at you and he takes a deep perspective of who you are and he says, it is good. And he accepts you. And, and I know what some people are thinking. Does he accept our sin? Absolutely not. But he knows that if you would reach up and get a hold of him, you'll come out of that life of sin. So therefore, he accepts you just as you are. And he wants you to come closer to him. So week one was accepting acceptance. And last week, we, we talked about this little common uh, uh, relevant term that people use today, and that is own it, own it, meaning we got into the life of Jacob last week, and we talked about the fact until Jacob owned up to the fact that he needed God's blessing on his life, until he owned that truth that he needed God's blessing, he never was going to be able to receive God's blessing. Until you own up to the truth that you need God, you'll never be in a posture to receive God. So that was last Sunday, and today we're going to be talking about this idea of letting go and letting God. Back to the story of Jacob. It's found in the book of Genesis. Last week we established this truth that the firstborn, the firstborn, was privileged to tease two things, the birthright and the blessing. The birthright was that he would receive a double portion of the inheritance of his father. And then the blessing was, uh, and that was the transfer of the authority and the leadership of the family, the authority of his father. Well, as we looked at last week, we kind of Leaned more about the blessing, and we if you recall, we talked about how Jacob dressed up like Esau, talked like Esau, and went to uh, his father 's bedside and tricked he tricked his dad into giving him the blessing because Jacob was a twin to his brother Esau, but he was not the firstborn. He was the secondborn, Sister Becky Crew. He was the secondborn. He didn't deserve that blessing, but he wanted it so badly that he tricked his way into getting it. Well, today, we're going to continue in this story, but we're going to talk about the birthright. We're going to talk about the birthright, and we're going to see how how, this old boy Jacob is so similar to all of us. And we're going to start out with this. Every single one of us are... It's natural for us. It's it's an innate attribute that we all struggle with, and that is we're all selfish people down deep in our core. We're selfish people. If, If you know that to be true about the one next to you, raise your hand. If you know that to be true about yourself, raise your hand. A little bit different response. nora had no idea about my sermon content. And last night we went to uh, watch the Nutcracker with uh, a group of our church. And it was, it was, a, it was a, a, a student-led production at the Burleson High School. And I don't know, I should have counted it, but I think we had about, I don't know, maybe... 8 to 10 people from our church that were involved in the production of the little student led production of the Nutcracker but on our way there of course we just decided to have us a knockdown drag out fight in the truck going and we decided to just get ourselves really happy to see everybody from the church so we just got into a knockdown drag out and she just chose to say to me not knowing what I was preaching that I was selfish and I said oh I know that I'm actually aware of that I'm preaching about that. You don't need to tell me. I'm in the process of getting delivered from it. You might want to get on board and get delivered from it yourself. (laughs) You're a little too late, sweetheart. I know. God has showed me that I'm selfish. Now we just need God to reveal that to you. It's going to be a long, cold Thanksgiving. We're all selfish people. Now, it shows up, Wayne, in different ways. There's, the, the selfishness comes out in different ways in, in each of us. There's certain areas that I'm selfish in that you're not. There's certain areas that you're selfish in that I'm not. But, but don't try to rank that. Because the truth of the matter is, selfishness is a reminder that you need more of God and less of you. Somebody say amen. It's a reminder. It's a gentle divine reminder that he taps us on the shoulder, on our heart, and says, you see that? Did you see see that nasty selfishness in you? That's why you need me. Because I can quiet the selfishness in you. And I can lead you in a selfless life if you'll submit to my ways. We are born thinking, we're born thinking as children that the world revolves around us. And we, as parents, we even add fuel to that fire with staying up all night, feeding them, uh, nourishing them, taking care of them, because now our world revolves around them. So it's a natural thing to have this sensation as a child that everything revolves around us and we very seldom outgrow it self-preservation self-advancement selfish motivation it is our natural bent in life Think about yourself right now I'm going to use me as the example but I got, I know that I'm not alone in this I obsess over my goals I obsess over my needs. I'm driven by my desires. I put up defense and I put up pretense to protect my personal little world. And I'm not alone in this. On every single pew that has a person sitting on it, you're guilty of it too. We all live up to this old statement that, if you're not looking out for number one, who will? So when you show up to work, you're looking out for number one. When you wake up in the morning, you're starting your day out looking out for number one because it's just in us. And if, if you want a good definition of Jacob, this was Jacob. He was one more self-obsessed, selfish man And that's why I believe that God chose to use his story even today on the 20th of November to reveal to all of us that it didn't just start with you. It started way back there that all of us, we must figure this thing out and let go of this selfish motivation And we need to let God take control over our lives and and give him the authority and give him the the wonderful green light, the go-ahead to do in our lives what, what he wants to do. Somebody say amen this morning. God did not design us to constantly live in this selfish mentality And how we know this is when Christ appeared, Christ modeled a selfless life. He put on display a selfless life. And basically, if you want to know what a Christian is, it's those that attempt with everything within us to do what Christ did. So therefore, we're called on to live a selfless life. If you remember one of the differences between Esau and Jacob was Esau knew how to hunt. Are there any hunters in the room? Uh, do you, any, any hunters of wildlife? Oh, how, are there any hunters of bargains when you're shopping? <laughs> I knew I'd work it in there, figure out some way. We're all hunters to some degree. Um, my little Esme asked me just yesterday morning, I, I uh, was with her yesterday morning at our house, and she said, Daddy, why do you call it deer hunting and not deer killing? And I said, well, because really, uh, I've done a lot more hunting than harvesting of deer. I said, have you ever, what do you do at Easter time when we put the eggs out in the yard? She goes, you hunt them. I said, so what does that mean? You look for them. And I said, that's right, but you don't always find them. Well, Esau was a hunter. He was always on the look because he had a gift to look and to find and to harvest for his family. He was a provider. What's interesting about his twin brother Jacob, even though he was known for all of this deceit and conning and scheming and scamming of which we'll continue to teach his, that portion of his life, but what you also gotta understand is his brother knew how to hunt and harvest the game, but Jacob knew how to cook. Thank God for the cooks, especially during Thanksgiving. Somebody say amen. So there came a time that Esau was out doing what Esau knew how to do, and that was to hunt. And Jacob was at home doing what Jacob knew how to do, and that was cooking. And that skill of cooking actually worked out for him one day. Because Esau came home, and he was just wore out from a long day's hunt. And when he opened the back door of the house, Jacob had been cooking. And the Bible says that Jacob had a big pot of gumbo on the stove. It's right there in Scripture. (laughs) So some people are like, you got to be kidding me. Well... In my version of scripture, it's gumbo. And Esau caught a smell. And oh, he was so hungry. And Jacob was so proud of what he had, what he had prepared. And his brother said, is there any way at all I can get a bowl of that? And that natural, selfish, innate Attribute that is not good came out. And all of a sudden he saw a deal. A deal to be made. A way for him to get something. A way to take advantage of someone. And Jacob said, oh, you bet. I give you a bowl for your birthright. And in a moment of Esau's weakness, oh, there's so much good teaching here. In a moment of his weakness, he did not weigh out the value of the transfer of authority and the transfer of leadership of the family. He treated it just casually and he, he listened to his belly more than his heart. I've been doing a little bit of that lately. And he said, I'll give you my birthright because that smells so good. And Jacob, he opened up that door and boy, he went for the gusto. And Jacob served him up a nice bowl of what he had been preparing. And he sat him, he gave him a place set at the table and he got him comfortable. Now, all right, now, uh, I just need you to give me the word. I just need you to give me the go-ahead on this, on this birthright. Now, before you, before you take that first bite, just need to make sure we're, we're, we're understanding things. Absolutely, you got the birthright. So here's the, here's the thing about this guy, Jacob. He had worked his way into tricking his father into giving him the blessing, and he's tricked his brother into giving him the birthright. All from a facade, from lying and cheating, conning and scamming and scheming, he was a man of deceit. He wasn't being real. He wasn't real with his daddy. He wasn't real with his brother. He had intentions and motives that were not godly. And all the while, he's expecting these ungodly motives to bring about God's blessing on his life. And I've said it a few times, it's, and, and it's a phrase that came right out of Furtick's book, Unqualified, and it's just too good of a phrase not to keep using every Sunday in this series. God cannot bless who you're pretending to be. God cannot bless who you're putting on to be. God can't do it. Well, I don't know, but he, he's, you know, I've got a good job. Don't mistake God's blessing with money. Well, uh, I've, I've, I'm pretty healthy. Don't mistake God's blessing for your good nutrition and exercise. God's blessings cannot be achieved outside of God People can make money outside of God. People can have health outside of God. What I'm talking about are the supernatural, God-given blessings on a man that when he doesn't have money or doesn't have health and when things are not going well in his natural life, his countenance is lifted, his heart is full, his hands are in the air, and his heart is towards God. And he said, it is well with my soul. Let me say it this way. When God's blessings are on your life, you sleep well even when you don't have a bed to sleep in. And Jacob was wanting God to bless him in in all the areas of his life and he played his brother. He tricked his brother. Hey, this is what's funny. You've ever heard that little saying, what goes around? <laughs> I'll give you a little side note, this, just a little extra thrown in here. Some of you have possibly have forgotten this portion of Jacob's life. After he ripped his dad off and he ripped his brother off, he's on the run uh, for around 21 years or so. He's on the run and he finds himself living in the, in the household in the protection of Laban. And while there, he falls in love with Laban's daughter, Rachel. He loves Rachel so much. I mean, she's a looker. She can cook. I mean, this is, this is, this is (laughs) Denora. I'm trying to get back in good standing. You know what I mean? (laughs) And all of her selfishness, she's cooking. She's still good looking. (laughs) <laughs> but check it out. He, he's like, holy smokes, Rachel. And He goes to Laban. I, I, what do I need to do to have a future with your daughter, Rachel? And he says, man, that's real easy. I'm wanting to get rid of her, but I can't just let you have her. I'll let you work for her for seven years. Absolutely, it's a deal. He stuck his hand out and agreed After seven long years of hard work, the preacher said, everybody stand and the back of the church doors open and here comes Laban with the bride and they come walking down the aisle and when she takes her veil off, Jacob realized what he's been doing to everybody else was just done to him and he says, you're not Rachel. And he looks at Laban and Laban says, sorry, bro. I just punked you. I just got you. But I still want Rachel. It's okay with Leah. I'll I'll figure something out with Leah. I I, I mean, I I really want Rachel. And Laban hits him again. Sure. You gonna work for me for seven years? (laughs) And Jacob's so in love. He goes, seven years. Makes the deal. It's true whatsoever a man soweth, he shall also reap. What goes around comes around. One of the main driving reasons to preach this type of series is to let you see if you're wanting God to bless who you're pretending to be, just get ready because you're sowing bad seed into your future harvest. It may not be going too badly now, but you just wait. You keep putting on the front in that marriage. You keep putting on the front with that financial health of your home. You keep putting on the front at work and and more importantly, you keep putting on the front in the presence of God, in the very very glorious presence of God. You get ready because what you are sowing, it's gonna come back to you and it's not gonna be good. And this is not fear-based approach. This is a faith-based message for you to let go of all of the pretending, let go of all of of the mask wearing, let go of the deceit, let go of the lying, let go of the cheating, let go of the conning and scheming and scamming. Let go of all of that and get you a good night's rest with honesty, integrity, character in the presence of God where God can bless you in ways you could never imagine. Can somebody say amen? Amen. So let go of all of that and let God do what only God can do. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 19 and verse 30, many who are first they're going to end up being last. But those that are last, they're going to end up being first. Another way of putting it, and God's kingdom, everybody stay with me this morning, and God's kingdom, trying to be first is the best way to find yourself in last. If you want God's blessings to open up in your life, starting with this man in the pulpit, to possibly a first-time guest at Calvary this morning, we must learn to serve. We must learn to wait. We must learn to be humble. We must learn to find our security in God. That's the path to godly success and blessing. It's not being like Jacob, a heel grabber. Esau, you get back here. I, I'm, I'm your twin, and I may be second right now in the womb, but I'm gonna be first. And when he couldn't be born first, he decided, I'm just gonna do everything else in this life first. I'm gonna steal blessings. I'm gonna steal birthrights. And Laban reminded him, Nah. This old natural thing of lying and cheating's been around for years, son. It was in me before it was ever in you. Lying produces lying. Cheating produces cheating. Manipulation produces manipulation. And it goes on and on and on. The seed sown of all of that produces of its own kind a harvest of all of that. And if you want delivered from that... If you want to stop that in your family, if you want to stop that in your business that you own and operate, if you want to stop that in your in your generational downline, you got to let go of it and let God do what God can do. On another occasion, Christ said in the book of Luke chapter number 9, he said, "What good is it? Oh, that's a Sweet, trans, uh, ch- a, a sweet version of scripture. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and lose his own soul? One's, one version says to forfeit their very self. What good is it? What good is it for you to gain it all? You got money in your pocket, real estate in your portfolio. You've got You've got trips around the world and that's just because that's our modern day stuff, okay? That's our modern day stuff. You've got all of what this world could give you, but what good is it if you've lost yourself? The real you. What good is it if you're a fake? What good is it if it's put on? Another way of saying is. What good is it if you've you've gotten everything you've always wanted, but now that you've got it, it's not meeting the need of the inner man? What value is it? If we lose who we are, if we lose our soul just to gain this stuff, what good is it? God did not design life to go down this way. God has a better way But he cannot, he cannot operate in your life until you let go of your life. I'm gonna say it again. Until you lay your life down, he cannot operate in your life. In other words, what's standing in the way of God doing the utmost, most unbelievable work in your life, what could be in the way is you. You could literally be the obstacle blocking God from doing something amazing in your life. Your prison cell could be locked from the inside. Everything could change in your world if you would just let go and get out of the way but I I can't because I want this and I need that. I've got to be recognized here and I've got to get the spotlight there and I've got to be first in this and that. And God's saying, that's fine, but you're going to end up being last. If you'll back down the totem pole, put me up top, if you'll decrease and let me increase, I'm going to be able to do something in your life that you'll never be able to do. Somebody say, I received that word. Here's how the psalmist said it. Psalms chapter number 121, verses one through eight. I will lift up my eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord, which made heaven and earth. He will not suffer thy foot to be moved. He that keepeth thee will not slumber. Behold, he that keepeth Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is thy keeper. The Lord is thy shade upon thy right hand. The sun shall not smite thee by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord, everyone say the Lord. The Lord shall preserve thee from all evil he shall preserve thy soul the Lord shall preserve thy going out and thy coming in from this time forth and even forevermore if you've given him the right to do so do you realize the kind of blessing that God wants to put on your life if we could just get out of the way But we look at our strengths, we look at our weaknesses and, and, and we decide it's not worth it. I can't get real in the presence of God. I can't get real with my family. I can't get real with my church. I can't, I can't be the real me because I may have a little good but I got some bad to go with it and I just need to take over this thing myself and I'll make it work. No one's gonna look out for me. I've gotta take control. As I close this morning, as we transition ourselves into our communion time. If our musicians would help me. Let me give you a few little things that we need to let go of. Especially as we partake of the Lord's Supper. Can you say this out loud this morning? Say, let go. Why don't you let go of what people think? Why don't you let go of what people think? I want to give a a shout out this morning. I want to give some love out this morning to all of you that are living a life that you value what God thinks more than what, you, more than what people think. There's a few of you that you've endured 20 years on that job where everyone has mocked you for your faith. But you've hung in there because you're more concerned about what God thinks than what people think. There's some single moms and single dads at Calvary Church that... You value what God thinks more than what you care what culture says about you. And you're determined to do it God's way, even in the face of challenges. To every businessman in this room, every businesswoman, I speak to you in Jesus' name for just a moment. For every time that you could have taken advantage of someone and you didn't, I applaud you in the name of the Lord. For every contract that you signed, for every deal that you made that was fair and honest, I bless you in Jesus' name. For every husband in the room, every wife in the room, that when you crawl in that bed at night, that spouse is drifting off to sleep With an honest person. I bless you in Jesus' name. God's design is He's okay with the problems you have if you'll just let Him in on the problems. But you can't allow your insecurities of the fact that you have problems you to do business deals that are not right, be in marriages that are not healthy, coming to a church, wearing your costume. God says, why don't you let go of all that? I can do a supernatural healing instantly in that marriage. I can do a supernatural healing in that business. I can do a supernatural healing of your inner man but you're going to have to let go of some things. Why don't you let go of your past? Why don't you let go of your manipulation, your comparison to others? And as I close, why don't you let go of the fear of the unknown called the future? Because some people, when they come to God, Brother Bruce Yost, when they walk into the church for the first time or possibly even after 25 years, their biggest fear hearing a sermon like this is this is all I've ever been and this is all I've ever known I don't know what it's like getting real why don't you let go of that fear and trust in the Lord with all of your heart why don't you choose to lean on Him and not your own understanding or lack thereof of what it's going to be like tomorrow being real and let God's love embrace you and hold you. going to ask for every single one of us in the room if we'll stand together. If you have need of communion elements, is there anyone that possibly slipped in uh, without receiving communion element? If you'll lift your hand right here on the front row, right here in this section. Uh, is your Right here, Mary Cottle needs one. If you accidentally slipped in without receiving your communion, if you'll just, I'll do my best to see you. We'll make sure you're served. All right, looks like we've got most of you. At the annual celebration known as the Passover, Passover, Jesus tells his disciples, oh, I hope that I can, I hope that I can communicate this as I feel it in my heart. Jesus has a table with beautiful food and more than that, beautiful followers. And he looks at them and he says, I'm gonna let go. And I'm going to let God. I'm letting go of my flesh. And I'm going to let God's powerful spirit operate in me. And the very thing that will take place in my life can take place in yours. So I want you to remember this. When you take a piece of bread you put it to your lips you remember my body that I let go of. It was broken for you. And when you partake of the vine I want you to remember that it was my blood that I let go of for your salvation. Matthew 26 and verse 26, as they were eating, Jesus took the bread, he blessed it, he broke it, gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. He took the cup, he gave thanks and gave it to him saying, drink ye all of it for this is my blood of the New Testament which is shed for many for the remission of sins. One last portion of scripture before we partake today. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse number 23. Paul writes, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take it, eat it. This is my body which is broken. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner he took the cup which he supped saying this is the cup is the new testament's my blood this do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me check this out though for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup you do show the Lord's death till he come wherefore whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily if you haven't let go if you haven't let go this old sin nature shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. Verse 28. But let a man examine himself. This preacher has come by this month and especially on this day to ask you, will you examine yourself? Will you get real with yourself? Examine yourself yourself. And let him eat of the bread and drink of that cup. This morning, I would ask you to take your communion elements. And even while your hands are in motion, while you're, you might want to lift those lights a little bit, please. For Thank you so much. We got to be able to see these. I'm going to ask you to examine yourself right now. Meaning, meaning this. Are you going to partake of this body? And are you going to partake of this blood, which is juice in this little container? Are you going to partake of this without having let go of your selfish, sinful ways? As I pray, I ask you to let this be your prayer. Bow your heads. Dear Lord Jesus, on this Sunday as we enter into a season called Thanksgiving, for every man and woman and student that's in this first service at Calvary Church in Fort Worth, Texas, we come together as a corporate body. We ask you to forgive us of our sin. Wash us clean. We are not perfect people, but we need the hand of a perfect Savior to be upon us. We do not stand here with a mask on wearing a costume of self-righteousness. But Father, we come before you honestly, authentically asking you to bless us now. When we partake of this bread, we remember it was your body that was broken for us. And when we sup this juice, It is a reminder of your blood. And we've examined ourselves today. And we let you be God. God over our lives. At this time, would you partake of the bread and
0: the juice. In Jesus' name. moment with your Lord for just things,
1: a moment today.
0: Love,
1: Remember him.
0: Amazing
1: your heads with me. Lord Jesus I bless my friends today thank you for the reminder of what you've done for us. If there's anything that we could all agree to be thankful for, thank you for the cross thank you for what you did for me and what you've done for these here today we ask you to bless our time with our family and friends this week keep us all safe Keep us healthy and happy. Let us make memories together. And let the very bedrock of every memory made, let it be celebrating your love for us. I pray a blessing on us in Jesus' name. And let everybody say amen. Amen amen and amen. God bless you. And I pray a great, great, wonderful Thanksgiving for you. At every exit, there will be receptacles to receive the trash today from your communion elements. I love you and I bless you in the name of the Lord. And happy
0: Thanksgiving to you. You're dismissed today.